The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. said, And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed its hand from killing, and from that day it was as one dead. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and eighth wonder of the world, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. This evening's symposium examines King Kong, the 1976 adventure remake starring Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lang, and Charles Grodin. My guest is Simon Garrier and you join us in the observation deck of the Empire State Building in America. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to be on my crappy little show. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So what can you tell me about King Kong? Well, uh, the I was intrigued by you uh, suggesting the 1976 version because uh, I was born in 1976, so I feel it is, um, uh, I, I feel a, a, an association with it. Is that the right word? I feel a, a connection with this film. A kinship. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I'm not sure it's necessarily the best film of 1976. Uh, I was having a look at what else was in the cinema that year. Um, Robert and Marion, which uh, with Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn, I... I I uh, adore. Uh, uh, there's also The Omen uh, with uh, Gregory Peck. Um, and uh, I'm also a big fan of the of the original, the, the Eighth Wonder of the World from 1933. Uh, and I, do you know, I was watching this version for you, the 76 version, thinking, I'm not sure I've ever actually seen this. Um, so, yes, yes, you have prompted me to watch a film that I would... I, I, I think I'd assumed I'd seen it, but actually watching it again, I was going, a lot of this seems, you know, I, I'm sure I would have remembered bits of it. Um, I, don't, I, I assume you'd like to go through it in in a more chronological order, but like the ending especially, I thought I, that would have really uh, stayed in the memory. We do normally go through it in chronological order, but we can jump around a bit as, yeah. as ideas arise. Um, there are conflicting reports regarding who first had the idea of remaking King Kong um, Michael Eisner claims that it was his idea because he saw the original on TV and thought I should remake that Yeah. and I believe Dino De Laurentiis um, also had the idea on his own <laughs> so when they came to him with the idea of King Kong he said ah I've already thought of that. How kind of you to come to me with your idea that I've had. 
Yeah, the, the the two things that occurred to me about about its sort of origination is is one is that it's made in the wake of Jaws. Now, I I suspect that uh, it was already in motion. They'd already got King Kong up and running by the time Jaws had its huge success. But the idea of a big monster movie um, that also tries to say something about society, that says something about the modern world as well, which is what Jaws is doing so brilliantly, I would be amazed if it hadn't had an influence even late into production. Um, but the other thing is is that um, 76 is when George Lucas is filming Star Wars and Star Wars is looking backwards at a time when cinema is struggling against television to get people into the cinema, to actually get audiences to pay for tickets and go to the movies. Star Wars does a thing of looking backwards to a sort of golden age of the Republic serials and, and Flash Gordon and stuff and Buck Rogers with uh, Buster Crab. And it's... Um, and it's that looking backwards to that sort of golden age that that I think is where this is coming from. That you know they're clearly doing the same thing of going that's a golden age of cinema and we can resurrect it and maybe um, you know sort of relive some of those glory years. So it, it comes out of um, the, those two things basically are a that the monster movies and and uh, that kind of. Uh, uh, mass popularity that jaws offers but but also this idea of looking backwards to a to a lost age of of cinema's heyday um and and actually so so it's a bizarrely backward looking film for all it's trying to cash in on a present present occupation if that if that makes sense no i think you're i think you're exactly right i think i would even add in fact there's uh, an influence of the um disaster movie yeah, yeah. Um, the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno. Uh, because the idea was sort of percolating as the Towering Inferno came out and there was clearly an appetite for big-budget spectacle with big stars in big locations. And King Kong matches with that perfectly. And I think you're exactly right. That's looking back at Hollywood's heritage. And what What could we do now that's bigger and more spectacular than we could have done then looking at it from a more um studio perspective rather than a filmmaker perspective whether perhaps more interested in story and character rather than marketable property yeah yeah and and whereas the towering inferno is chock full of stars of one sort or another and you know and, and at the time you're getting celebrity lot you know you're getting in the 70s films with lots of stars in them you know like the sean connery's in um yeah, the, the uh, Peter Robin uh, and Marion. Yeah, yeah, but but also in the Agatha Christie that he's in as well. You know, the, those oh. sort of um, those sort of marquee films, if that's the if that's the word to use. You know, where where you get a, a group of celebrity stars in, um, and Kong is doing something different, which is let's get the biggest star. You know, literally, he's whatever yes. he is, fifty foot tall, uh, gorilla. And and actually, the rest of the cast are not very starry. There's there's not a lot of um, uh, uh, you know there's not a lot of big names in in the cast. Otherwise, I mean, obviously Jeff Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange have gone on to be big names, but uh, but uh, uh, their uh, character actors are newcomers. I mean, Bridges had already done Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, so he was clearly a, a, an up and comer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a bit like I mean, it's a bit like Brie Larson being in Kong Skull Island. The, yeah. Uh, 
the actor who's made their name in a great acting role and are now doing a big budget movie to cash in. Yeah, yeah, but whereas the t- Tower Inferno is like it's Steve McQueen leads an all-star cast. It's a very different proposition with Kong, isn't it? It's it's uh... Yes. Kong is the star character whereas in the Tower Inferno the star is not the building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not the ship in um Poseidon Adventure. It's it's Gene Hackman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with um with Kong in production there was apparently plans for a rival uh, Kong production because uh, the the, ex- the exact nature of the rights seemed to be rather nebulous and technically um, the other version was going to be adapted from the novelization of the first film <laughs> right um, a bit like how the um, the new version of Survivors was based on Terry Nation's novel and not the TV series it was based on right yes for yes. complicated legal reasons yeah yeah okay um, okay and notoriously when the film was finally released it was publicized with the tagline the most exciting original motion picture event of all time yes yes that, that that's that's amazing isn't it um who do you think you're fooling with that <laughs> i mean it, it is baffling it really is baffling i mean the the poster itself has a, an absolutely gigantic kong straddling the twin towers of the world trade center snatching F-16s out of the air. Um, none of which happens in the movie. And also, it's in daylight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is very odd. You wonder, in a sort of Roger Corman way, if they had the poster first uh, and then made the film to fit the poster. Uh, well, including the World Trade Centre as the final destination of the story was apparently in the original spec given to uh, Lorenzo Semple Jr., the screenwriter because they wanted to modernise it so much. So uh, the uh, Empire State Building, that's that's yesterday's building. We want something modern like the World Trade Centre. Yeah, yeah, and uh, which towers over it. Yeah, and, and it's new, and it, but it also represents the modern world in more than just being a big building. It also stands for something. It stands for a kind of economic capitalist view. You know, all, all of those sort of things. It's very resonant. I, I actually found that really striking, Um towards the end of the film. That's why, that's why I think I can't have seen it before, because I'm sure I would have remembered it otherwise. The film starts on a dockside in Indonesia yep. with uh, the Petrox Explorer uh, about to head off into uncharted waters, while Jeff Bridges as... Is a character called Jack Driscoll, is that correct? Yeah. Or Jack Prescott. Um, he's about to bribe his way on board for whatever reason. And uh, as they cast off, there's a toast on on deck to here's to the big one. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a number of things. A uh, Jeff Bridges is, is very good at drunk acting. Uh, he's he's he gets out of a taxi and pretends to be drunk to get past the guard. And you go, yeah, this is the guy who's going to be the big Lebowski right there. You know, it, it's it's it helps that he's got floppy hair and a big beard as well. Um, and there's something really odd about that getting past the guards thing because it it suggests that that actually this ship is a they're a bit sloppy about security they're not very professional um i don't know whether that's just me taking it but I, I, immediately it suggests that things are not going to go well for these people um whereas actually if you're setting a kong in the modern world my sort of view on it would would be that everybody is very professional and knows what they're doing because that makes that makes it more of a um, more of an issue when Kong just decimates them because you know the, if the stronger they are, the more Kong is 
more, the more powerful beca- Kong becomes when he when he bashes through them. If if you see it on, if you see what I mean. Yes, I mean there, there is something like that later on in the film where uh, Kong is presented to the public, and he's imprisoned in a cage that we're told is completely unbreakable, completely impregnable, which he then immediately breaks out of. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I also thought that that the toast thing is is quite interesting. They they name Petrock's. Um, rivals as Shell and Exxon they actually name the rival petrol companies which kind of does ground it in a kind of reality but also almost underlines the the fact that it isn't real because it's not a real petrol company um so there's a there's a weird kind of unreality about it um already before we even get to things like special effects which I'll talk about in a bit um, you know the, the the efforts to ground it in reality actually do the opposite. I, th- I felt. How do you um, feel that works with the change in tone from the first film? Because the first film feels very much like a, almost like a Henry Ryder Haggard, uh, you know, almost colonial adventure story about the um, the great monster and the the damsel in distress and the and the white men encroaching on this wilderness. Yeah, yeah. I I think the. Um... I think the main thing is what a weird um, steer it is that it starts in Indonesia, in Surabaya, in Indonesia, um, because the when they get to the islands, when they get to Skull Island, the natives of the of the islands are all black African uh, African American a- actors, clearly, um, and they're black rather than being South Asian. Um, having seen Kong Skull Island, which was filmed in Vietnam in in Cat Bar Island, and around and the the areas around that, that's that's you know they're they're riffing on Vietnam. There, I think in seventy six they couldn't have have made. It's about South Asia because it's too close to Vietnam. It was too it's too soon afterwards. So weirdly, what you have a kind of the the Skull Islands and and the. Uh, the look of it and the, the the casting of the of the people on Skull Island actually is much more African, Afrocentric, so that um, it actually feels more like they're delving into the Congo or or a story like that, which is actually where Edgar Wallace's uh, Edgar Wallace, who, whose idea King Kong was originally in the in the thirties, um, that's what his experience was. He was a Congo reporter, so it, it's. That those kind of associations are really weird. I mean, where the hell is Skull Island? Because it's supposed to be, you know, somewhere in Indonesia, in the Pacific, or well, it's, they say it's into the Indian Ocean, but I assume it's more that side rather than the African side. But the the kind of ethnic, ethnic uh, trappings of the of the of the of the set design and the costume design. It's, it, it seems like Darkest Africa, capital D, capital A, in exactly, as you say, those kind of colonial stories of the late 19th century. Um, there's a bit of, you know, almost kind of uh, uh, Stanley and Livingston about it, isn't there? Yes, you're right. But it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, in these terms, it does almost feel a little bit racist. Um, the, um, the idea of all these... Uh, black primitives were worshipping their giant black god um it's in 1976 i can imagine this being quite dicey 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's not entirely above board now. But, but yeah, but it's it's again when I was saying before that this is a film that feels like it's that's looking backwards to a golden age. It's very, it's not progressive in any in any way. I mean, there's there's a a, a, a black crew member on the ship, um, but he he doesn't you know he doesn't have a much of a of a role. It, uh, uh, it's Julius Harris is is in the cast in, in, on the ship, but he doesn't have much of a role other than to be, you know, shocks and stuff. You just go, you would not, A, you wouldn't make that film now, but given the racial politics of the time, it's, I find it quite striking that they made it then. Um, you know, surely there were, there, there was enough in the air that you'd know that these things were objectionable. Perhaps because Kong himself is treated perhaps more sympathetically than he had in the previous version. And, there is dialogue later on when Jack says, "You know, we've we've taken their god away, yeah. and now the corporation is going to move in, and a year from now it'll it'll be an island of burned out drunks." Yeah, which which, yes, it's a, it's a sort of uh, uh, a fig leaf, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think I th- yes, it doesn't do enough with that, um, because there is no sort of there, there, you know there's no follow up to that line. We don't know how accurate he is about that prediction. Um, and also, his his he's a weird character because he's um, he's a primate paleontologist. He tells us, and he seems to be in a university. We're, we're told that he's in a department and things, um, but he's really a sort of what we'd now call a cryptozoologist, looking for uh, you know species on the on the edge of scientific knowledge and stuff, and and kind of going into the sort of Fortean realm of. Is this science or not? Is it conspiracy theory stuff? Um, so he's, on the one hand, he's a kind of respectable academic grounded in a university. But at the other end, he's a kind of environmentalist hippie. Um, and I I kind of, it, it's interesting to compare him to somebody like Indiana Jones, who's a, who's a sort of similar uh, adventuring academic of going they don't really ground his qualifications in anything um he's you know there's a bit where he does a the equivalent of a powerpoint presentation to explain the history of sightings of these things but you never feel that he's a particularly um he doesn't have any authority like indiana jones has um they nobody listens to him when he's saying all of these things um no he has he has credentials um and he can prove that he he is a a theoretically respectable person, but that doesn't mean that he has any kind of real standing. He could just be the crank in the department. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't see there's something odd about making him a stowaway because it, it, it automatically undermines his relationship with everybody. Whereas there's no reason why the petrol organization wouldn't have hired, you know, for good PR or or something. They they wouldn't have hired a somebody who could be knowledgeable about the, the, the flora and fauna and whatever of, of wherever they're going to explore. Um, th- those kind of things, I, I feel that they're, they're odd choices. There's a lot of odd choices in this film. Um, and that, that is one of them that, that he, he could come from a, he could come from a stronger position and have more to contribute uh, at that early stage. I think they set off onto the open sea as we have the beautiful opening titles and John Barry's beautiful score. Yep. 
uh, there's a there's a mayday call and Fred the uh, representative of the Petrox Corporation is immediately seasick. <laughs> yeah. Because he's he's a land person. He's very much a uh, a city man. Yes. Um, what did you what did you think of Charles Grodin? Well, he's very good, isn't he? I mean, he's very good in in lots of different things I've seen him in. I I I actually I, I made a note on this. The the bit of the um the room and the ship um swaying about and him being sick is really nicely done. That's a uh, there, there. You know, I, 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 as we'll come back to, some of the effects in this film are really well done, and some of them are not so well done. Um, but that bit of the ship, you, re- you know, I don't know. I assume it's putting bits of furniture and stuff around on wires and shaking the camera about. But, but uh, actually, you get a real sense of the room lurching. Um, and so, so the idea that he, um, that he sees it, does rather suggest he hasn't done this before. Um, he's perhaps as much of a, a glory hunter as Jack is. Jack wants to prove the existence of a, some kind of giant ape. Um, and it's suggested that he wants some of the, the glory that would be attached to being the man who discovers this. Whereas Fred wants the glory of finding this huge oil deposit and um, all the stock options that would come with such a discovery. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think... I think that's right, and and and, and there's not a, there's not a great sense that his career is in petrol. You know, he once it once it becomes clear that that's not going to work out, but maybe he can, maybe he can do something with this giant ape. He just transfers all his interest to that. You know, it, it, petrol is just a means to an end for him. He just he just wants the the acclaim, the uh, the standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um. They start to have the briefing during a, finally having a calm day at sea uh, where Fred explains about the permanent fog bank that they're heading for based on a spy photo and um, he theorises that the fog bank is petrol vapour. But then Jeff Bridges says, wait a moment, I'm a stowaway and I know better than you. Yes. And he starts talking about information suppressed by the Vatican about a giant beast on the island and it's it does start to become weirdly mythical very quickly. The idea that there's this creature there that's been known about for centuries, but those in power have been keeping it quiet. There is sort of an added layer there that's also, as you say, is it's not touched on. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 odd because I was thinking about you know the the if I remember right that stories have been told to Westerners about Komodo dragons for decades that nobody believed until i think the 1920s i may have this wrong but um and then you know somebody went what really well can you show me this creature that you're telling telling me about oh yeah there it is um so there is a kind of idea that that yeah there are there could be things on these islands that that nobody knows about and you know there, there's I, I i know of attempts to find creatures in places like papua new guinea and stuff so so there's a sort of uh credibility about about that sort of thing but that's not what they're doing here as you say it's a it's a weird mythic thing why would the vatican care about this island in indonesia i don't i don't quite follow what what that would who would have told them because because again it, it suggests that somebody went to the island there's no sense in in anything that we've seen that any westerners have been to the skull island before 
I think um, some sort of prequel involving the untold journeys of Marco Polo would be highly advised. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. And he tore those uh, pages out of his uh, journal. No, the bishop did. Yeah, right, right. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, don't you go don't you go telling people about that big ape Marco Polo yeah yeah just just to settle on unicorns being disappointing that's the bit in yeah. Marco Polo that I like um <laughs> but yeah yeah it's it, it that is quite odd um and and again um what I was saying before about Jeff Bridges not having this sort of scientific credibility the things that he can if he came in and went no there's been a survey we've got satellite pictures you know that kind of hard sciencey sort of end it would make what his claims more credible but the fact that he comes in and goes no the vatican are against us it, it, that is a very odd kind of level of evidence to present you know it, it's a uh, no wonder they don't believe him mm. well as he's being carted off to the brig for not being allowed to be there um they see a raft uh, over the side, which happens to contain a beautiful woman. Yes, yes. Again, very odd, very odd choices being made here. One, that this is how they meet the 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 only speaking woman I think in the entire film. Uh, I may have missed some some minor speaking women at, at some point, but I think she's the she's certainly the only only character with anything more than a couple of lines to say. Um, She's called Dwan um, to make Dawn more interesting, which is just a weird, and again, a really odd choice. Um, Her name, the character's name was Dawn, but then Dino De Laurentiis changed it for that exact reason. Yeah, it's just it's just so odd. Um, and then she, you know, look at what she's wearing. She's not dressed for being at sea at all. Um, and then you have this bizarre story she tells where the reason she's the sole survivor of an accident at sea is that the rest of the crew were watching Deep Throat, the porn movie. It's such an odd reference. It's, it's you know, it's trying to be something modern and a bit edgy and to maybe suggest the world that she comes from, but it's, it's so out of place in this family adventure, if that's, yes. you know. It's, it's such an odd choice of reference. Um... And kind of suggests a a life that she has been living before, that even if she's not been in the porn industry, then she's you know she she's been in a life where people were openly watching pornography in front of her. It's su- it's such an odd thing to to put in the movie. Um, My interpretation was that uh, the the movie producer whose yacht it was, uh, and he he'd picked her up in Hong Kong. Apparently, he was. Um, He'd made promises to cast her in his next movie and whatnot, but it was very much a, a casting couch situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, t- taking her out onto the open sea almost makes me think of um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where um, Dennis explains how a, a good idea for a date is to take a woman out on a boat because of the implication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's horrible. It's really horrible. It's, it's a really nasty... Um... It's a it's a really nasty kind of kind of suggestion there, um, yes. in a film in which she is you know they talk about her being threatened by a horny ape. Um, it's it's a film where she basically spends the, the the rest of the adventure being threatened by a massive ape that wants to shag her. That it's so peculiar. Um, you know, in a, in a very seventies rapey 
kind of way. But the, uh, but, but, but again, why why have her, why have her on the boat? Why why introduce her in this weird coincidence that doesn't really make sense and just just ends up asking more questions than it needs to. What about if she'd been on a boat that the that had got too close to Skull Island and she's been rescued from that? What about if she was on the boat to begin with and she's actually, you know, a scientist, but nobody, or she's a part of the oil prospecting group, but nobody takes her seriously because she's pretty? All of those things would be better choices for what this is. It's just such an odd choice. Um, I think looking to the idea of throwing it back to the 30s, you know, the, the beautiful woman... In an evening dress and a life raft is a very sort of nineteen thirties almost pre code type um scenario. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. Of a type so. of a type that just wouldn't wash by the mid seventies, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah, it just it just feels very odd. Yeah, yeah. Well, um Jack takes a shine to Dwan and there's a montage of them on deck working together. Um as as they can't throw Jack overboard, he becomes the unofficial photographer for the expedition. And um, eventually they reach the fog bank, where Duan insists on go, coming aboard on the uh, the first boat. Yeah, so it takes them... It's, it's about half an hour of film to get to the island. So that first half an hour is all just set up. There's no monsters, there's no creature effects, there's no any of that sort of stuff it's all just set up and it it just drags i felt i felt it just there there are all sorts of things they could have done to to just you know raise our expectations a bit you know even even if they had a a haggard looking jeff bridges you know basically saying i've got a story to tell you it all started started when we when i you know smuggled myself aboard this oil prospecting boat or or whatever just something to add a bit of excitement to it but it's all um it's all just random you know like not very interesting people telling each other stuff about the history of this island it's it's not a, it's a lot of exposition and 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 not a lot of not a lot of excitement so when they actually get to the island and they step out onto it um a a it doesn't look very exotic when they arrive on that beach. It looks like a rather grey day. Um, I was thinking of, you know, like uh, when during the filming of uh, Baywatch, when it was famously shot out of season, so everybody's really cold. And, and once you notice that the ex- <laughs> once somebody's pointed out that the extras are all shivering, you can't help but watch them. Um, and there's something there's something about that of this. It's a, it's a bit of a grey day and not very exciting. Um, but but there's this weird thing of the of the cave mouth that they they walk through, which looks like I don't know if it's on purpose, but looks like a shark's tooth or a shark jaw, um, that suggests a threat on the beach. But there isn't a threat on the beach. It's it's again a weird. What's the word? It's it's, it's again pointing you in a direction that the film doesn't actually go. You know why not have dangerous fish in the water before they get there? You know like piranhas or something just to add a bit of excitement it's all it's all you know nothing happening basically i i actually quite like this early section because there's a sense of foreboding there's a sense that they're they're going somewhere and there's going to be something there we don't know what but it's some kind of mysterious power or force 
and no one's really sure what's going to happen. So that when they arrive on the island, it's all very, very nice. It's very, very quiet. They think, well, some there has to be something here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's too, it's too sort of unnaturally quiet, and yet we're told there's some kind of evil here. So there's there's that great foreboding, which I think works very well in its favour, and the way that they hold off for quite a long time where they, they walk through the, the jungle and eventually they find this huge wall which Fred suggests has been there for thousands of years and Jack says, well, yeah, but it's been repaired recently. Look at look at that over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I quite like that stuff. I think at the same time that that's going on, you've got Duane running off to dance about in the waterfall and she's talking about horoscopes and she's, you know, the, 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 there's a sort of suggestion that she's uh, not really uh, uh, worry, not really taking this very seriously. There's also what she's wearing. Um, so whereas all the men are quite, you know, are, are quite overly dressed in trousers and shirts and stuff for the hot climate, she's showing a bit of tummy and is wearing sh- shorts and stuff. And you go, she didn't have any of those clothes in the little rowing boat that they found her in. Those clothes have all come from the ship, which has no other women on it. So whose clothes are that, those? And, you know, again, it leads to a whole load of odd questions about the reality of it. Um, you know, they're trying to ground all of this in some kind of reality, and yet they're not, um, was what I was thinking. And, and and when they get to the wooden wall, again, there's a weird thing where they hide in plain sight. You know, they are seen because they're not really hiding. Um, it, it, it's all it, those kind of practical decisions about how you how you've shot it how you've how how people are positioned within shot all just feel very odd you mentioned um her horoscope where she said that she was going to cross water and meet the biggest person in her life yeah there's there's seeding seeds of humor i think in this early part again where um jack is taking pictures as they're about to set off and he takes one of duan draping herself over fred and he says oh don't do that i'm a married man and uh, Jack replies, "Well, this is going to be on the front of People magazine." Says, "Well, well, okay, just one then." Yeah, 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 yeah. There it's... is a, a, you. You can see that this is distantly related to the Batman TV show. There is that kind of dry, slightly absurd humour in places. But yeah, um, yeah, it yeah. Needs, I say it needs to have that kind of grounding in reality, in plausibility. That so that when Kong finally appears you have to accept him at face value because everything we've seen so far is totally believable and totally realistic yeah I, I yes yes I see the point you're making I'm not sure I buy that in, in how they have done it um, I don't think these people feel like real people um, and and, well, I, and I don't feel the, I don't feel the situation is made to feel real enough um, it, it, it all feels a bit staged. Is my is my problem with it? Do you feel that perhaps a more dynamic director would have been a better choice? Because John Gilliman was very much of the old school, as one says. He had directed the Towering Inferno, so he knew how to manage huge productions. But he's, you know, the Towering Inferno is nearly three hours long. And it's not as exciting as a giant burning building ought to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. It just, it just doesn't have, um, you know, John Barry 
used to say about about doing the James Bond films that that he was required to put in the emotion that was otherwise lacking from those movies, um, which I think is a bit hard on on especially some of the movies that he scored, but um, but on this he is doing all the work um, because you know the, the the there's very little that you know but the, the the best efforts of Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lang to flirt the lines they're given are not you know they're just well I'll see you in my cabin it's just again there's no sort of wit, wit or or uh, a flirtation going on it's just you know come, co- coasting come. on the actor's charm yeah 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 exactly exactly um so that yeah it's just it's just not as it's just not as witty and 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 light as it could be either in the direction or in the writing the first choice to direct was Roman Polanski. Yeah, yeah. You see, it would be a very different film. Um, and you're, I'm trying to remember where Polanski was in 76, but, you know, we're after Chinatown and stuff. You just go, it, it would just have a sense of style about it that, that I feel this film is lacking. Um, I think perhaps they'd, they'd seen Chinatown and seen this modern story, but in a period setting. And thought, ah, yes, King Kong, because it's kind of re- the reverse. It's this classic, old-fashioned story, but in a contemporary setting. So maybe that was part of their thinking that yeah, yeah, that yeah, you can yeah. juxtapose the two quite neatly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've, I, you know, I have views on Pulaski which I'll, I will spare you. But, but yes, the the <laughs> we've talked about this sort of thing great length on the show. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I can yeah at the time. At the time, I can see those that you know that thinking. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just yes, yes. I th- I think I can see those things. Yeah, it, it is just it's just a bit leaden, isn't it? That's the that's the problem. Um, and, yes, and there's there's weird things like once we get to the the town, there's a, there's a weird bit where they're um, they're setting up Duan to be captured by Kong as as his bride. And there's a weird bit where they're bolting the gate and it's filmed in a way where you kind of go, you're lingering over the shots of this huge bolt being put into the lock. Is this, is this meant to be suggestive? Is it meant to kind of be a bit Freudian? Is this, I, I don't know whether you're doing this on purpose or you're just not aware of it, which for a film about a giant rapey ape is again, really odd. I thought the Freudian part was where he's about to, do goodness knows what, and a giant snake appears. Oh yeah, yeah. I was yeah. That, that, you know, we can get to that in a bit. But yes, yeah. It, again, just very odd, very odd. Well, having um, uh, seen the uh, people for the first time, and also seen the pools of bubbling oil. Yeah. Just like in um, Jed Clampett's back garden in the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Um, they head back to the ship and talk about bribing the <laughs> the tribes people. And uh, bringing some TNT just in case there is a big ape there. Yeah, always, always a sensible thing to do when there's a lot of petrol around that you've seen raw on the ground. Yes, but um, Jack calls Fred an environmental rapist. Yes. So, given that Kong is also, on in a much more primitive way, one could regard him as a rapist, particularly the way he caresses. Dwan later on and she's clearly really uncomfortable yeah what kind of parallels do you think you could draw between the two of them as being almost like different facets or sort of counterparts 
yeah it's it's um yes that's clearly what they're trying to trying to link isn't it it's just a bit clumsy i feel um it kong is not the same kong doesn't know any better is the issue and also um what is Kong going to do with her? That, that, you know, we haven't got to that yet. But what, but what actually is he going to do with her, other than, you know, poke her boobs and and drop her in water? That that he's he's not capable of doing anything else. So it's all of that is again really odd. Um, but but yes, yeah. Clearly, that's what they're trying to. They're, that's what they're trying to put together. But uh, uh, I I don't think it's particularly elegant. But uh, just as uh, something is about to happen between Duane and Jack, she's grabbed by the mud people and uh, taken back to the island. Yeah. Whilst Fred is told from head office, listen, Hennemore, you'd better make sure this oil strike works out all right or you're for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Duane is going to be part of the ceremony of the islanders and they unlock the gate... And suddenly this huge figure comes smashing through the forest and we finally get to see Kong himself. Yeah, who so is we're, a giant who is a giant man in an ape costume. Yeah, so we are we're it's about fifty minutes into the film that we get our first sight of Kong in a film that's just over two hours. So we're getting towards the halfway mark before we see the title character of the film. Um and Is, is it the been... same ratio in the other two versions though? Uh, yeah, the, I think so. The, I think so. Uh, in the thirties version and the the Peter Jackson version, because I think it might be about the same. But but in both of those versions, we see other creatures before we see Kong, don't we? I'm pretty sure. Um, there's other threats to be overcome. There's other odd things. I, I think I, I seem to remember Andy Serkis gets eaten by a slug in the first Kong film before we see the ape. Maybe I'm yes. misremembering. But um, but yeah, it, it, it does seem to take a long time to get to this. Given that there's no other great, you know, the, the, although there's a bit of jeopardy with the with the um, the mud people, the, the 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 natives of Skull Island, it's not a lot. They're not under a huge threat um, up to this point. Um, you know, they 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 have the the uh, Charles Grodin's men have guns and they they very easily get away. So there's not there's not you you never believe any they're in any great danger until Kong turns up. Um, and then she's carried she's carried away um and they pursue kong and you get the thing about his footprints are six feet four across uh which from which they estimate his height which i i then found myself thinking have they got the proportions right whenever we see him is that is 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 he a consistent size um i got i got the feeling you know, I I watch um, in the night garden the the kids the preschool TV show with my children, and and they change size their proportionate sizes change over the course of an episode, and I was kind of watching Kong going, is he always the same height compared to treetops and compared to, you know, those sorts of things? I'm not sure he is. The film was Oscar nominated for its visual effects. Is that actually it won for its visual effects? Yeah, yeah. Some of it, it was... is re- some of it is really well done. Um, actually, the stuff with uh, you know the giant hand—they're they're clearly trying to do some some interesting things with matte effects and, and 
interacting a, a, an animatronic, you know, a, a, a practical hand that could pick her up and move around with the the guy in a suit that's projected around that. The but the you know the mat lines are are very noticeable. The 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 sort of transitions are not always brilliant. There's some very odd, um, rather crass effects of. There's the bit where Kong knocks people into the into the ravine, uh, and later when he, the, the, I think that the, the bit where he falls off the um, World Trade Center, are, are really shockingly bad. Um, yes, far, they're, they're very poor. Worse than anything in the '33 film from you know 40 years before. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a, a, again a, a weird a weird mix of can you not see that these are not good enough. Um, you know, clearly you you produce effects for a film when you're making a film and some of them work and some of them don't but they've it, it's like they've kept everything in um it it feels perhaps as though they're in some ways using similar effects to the 33 film but they had to develop them from scratch back in the 30s so they lavished huge amounts of care on them whereas here the compositing is very much an old hat trick so yeah, yeah. They, they just—it's kind of slapdash and and sloppy. It—it's it, again a lack of care about the reality of it, and about and and, and odd choices. It, it's a lack of taste. It's a lack of creative taste in the shots and, and and those sorts of things. That which which is is actually pervasive. It, it's actually indicative of what we've been talking about already in other choices they've made. Um. I've uh, I've. Having technical people work at things rather than artistic people who want to get things everything just so, perhaps you're having, you know, almost like it's you know carpenters and furniture movers. Yeah, yeah. Making the creative choices. Yeah, not yeah. So, not that I have anything against furniture movers, but um, you know they shouldn't be allowed to direct films quite <laughs> so often. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what did you, what did you think of the um, Kong animatronic face? It's. Uh... It's actually it actually works very well, doesn't it? Um, yeah, for, I you know, it was like surprisingly lifelike. Yeah, yeah, and 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 gets emotion. You know, you get a sense of the 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 trick with all of these things is that you you get a kind of psychological life behind the eyes, which is um, you know is is basically what it works on. Um, and actually, there's that long early scene with Kong and and Jessica Lang with with Duan. Um, where she shouts at him and rails at him and tries to woo him and then you know talks about his horoscope and whatever, which is to build a bond between them, and it's a really odd scene. Um, it's a really odd kind of bridging scene to establish their character, but but actually the animatronics in that you do feel like he's responding to her. Um, I just I just again I just don't feel it's particularly well written, um, and and is a bit clunky. In, for what it's doing, but but yeah, I, th- I think the the actual uh, mechanical bits of that work, work very well. There is something of a story behind the uh, the ape suit itself. The original plan was that uh, Kong himself would be played by a giant full size robot. Yeah, um, which was constructed by Carlo Rimbaldi, who years later would build ET. Yeah, and the result was so absolutely ludicrous that uh, Rick Baker was contacted in a hurry to say, can you very rapidly build an ape costume and then wear it to play King Kong? (laughs) 
and the the finished robot version only appears in one shot of the finished film and it looks ridiculous yeah it, i mean these are these are to be fair these are things that happen in special effects a fair amount because you you try stuff you think you know how you're going to solve a problem and you try it and it doesn't work so you do something else um the 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 issue you know you can see that with jaws all the you know the the models of jaws or whatever there are ways that you shoot it there are ways that you edit it but you also have to have an eye for the sort of creative way of of what 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 looks good on screen um when it comes down to it it doesn't matter that you made something that didn't work it's then do do you have the creative sort of nous to go we're not going to use that in the film or we're only going to use it in a limited way and they do that there with the robot but that but then there are a whole load of choices where you go these shots are not good enough um yeah well they um they set up a actually the one other thing is that they find kong's footprint when fred falls into it yeah which i thought was nice foreshadowing for later on yeah yeah and, and also it there's a weird thing about that footprint to actually work it has to have pressed into the mud quite a bit um so how muddy is where they're walking you know all of those sorts of things i find myself thinking about the those kind of practicalities but yes yes it does that does work very well um in the peter jackson version that whole sacrifice sequence as i remember is takes place during a rainstorm um which obviously is much more atmospheric but also gives a good reason as to why there's a lot of soft mud around. Exactly, exactly. Those, those are the sorts of those are the sorts of logical thinking through of the practicalities of scenes that is not going on in this film. That that that's yeah, that's a really good example. Because this is a studio producer movie, and for Peter Jackson, it was a labour of love, which is why it's three and a half hours long. I think I think it's also that that he's just a, he's just better at thinking through the logic of these things. That's that's. Oh like, yes, I mean, I mean, I mean, his experience on Lord of the Rings showed the level of detail he would work at to create a completely convincing, uh, fant- fantastical environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and translating that onto something like King Kong, where it's set in a real period of history, so half the work's done already, it allows him to focus so much more on creating an environment that's believable within this second bubble yeah 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 definitely um definitely obviously the film would just be a lot better if it was an hour shorter what did you think of the peter jackson version uh i thought it was i, I actually reviewed it when it came out for uh film of focus a, a long gone uh film review website but um yeah generally generally i thought it was good i thought it was um Again, it all. I was just going to say when we come to on this, it all it all hinges on whether you buy the relationship between the uh, the woman and and the ape. That's that's the thing. Um, and I think I remember as I came out of the screening, one of the one of the women uh, who was in the screening, one of the, the other journalists, said, um, "Oh, I'd love a, I'd love a man to look at me like the like the." like that animal you know like, like the the ape looked at her and you go yeah she completely bought into it i was i was less convinced by it but but yeah she you know and it's and it, it comes off a really emotional performance andrew circus and andy circus's performance as the ape is really effective um absolutely yes and that and that's that's kind of what it all hinges on really i just you know again i feel it's a bit too long like i feel that about quite a lot of peter jackson's films 
uh, with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and, and stuff they're just a bit too long and too indulgent in in you know stuff that the stuff that's not driving the story fun though it may be it's not moving the story onwards um so yeah so generally generally i think but you know if if i've, I've got to say the 33 kong king kong i don't think has been bettered it's a very odd film and there's there's things in it that that i'm not sure work but but i don't think the the remakes have really come close to to its power um I genuinely prefer the 76 version. Oh, okay. Okay. I uh, The original, I think, is a perfectly fine adventure story and groundbreaking in its day, of course, but it lacks the, uh, at least the reaching for uh, complexity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this, that this version is trying, where it's, it's, it's trying to do something more difficult and more layered yeah yeah and, and even and even if as you say it does stumble quite a lot it's it, it picks itself up and it has another go yeah yeah i mean uh, we are about to come to a line which i did actually write down which which tells you what this version of king kong is all about where when they when they uh grodin and, and jeff bridges are, are going to you know they they realize that they've got to go after Dwayne and rescue her um they talk about her quote running for her life from some gigantic turned on ape and you go that's just that perfectly sums up what is at stake and what this film is all about it's still really weird um and with that earlier thing about the 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 deep throat movie and that the the suggestion of a porn career or a casting couch thing out on the boat whether it's just the wrong note for a sort of family adventure it, it's it's a bit it's it's a bit too on the nose, um, and um, it makes it feel a little bit too sleazy. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, what that made me think as you get all of the stuff of um, of Lang and her relationship and him blowing her dry and her apparent ecstasy at that, or, or I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to think is going on there. But for all John Barry is imposing this lush romantic music over the top of it it's all a bit you know it's it's really um but you know this a huge ape who's got this this tiny tiny woman and you're kind of going yeah there's a bit it's it's all a bit me too isn't it it's it's just <laughs> it, the, 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 the fact that you have raised the, the thing that this is just a, a gigantic turn on ape completely undermines the scenes that you then show where they're building a relationship because it because it's a it's a it that that is a completely unacceptable it, it's just completely wrong um yeah and it's so it's really weird that you're 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 pulling on this thing of this this kind of uh that this threat of rape by this huge creature and yet also this lush romantic john barry score is pulling in two directions at once and i and i think that's the problem that you talked about the nuance of, of the film yes they're trying to do something a bit more complicated and it's 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 a nuance and it's it's both things at once but actually it's it it's really uncomfortable because of that there's something there's something really unpleasant and sleazy about what's going on here well as um as she calls him a, a goddamn chauvinist pig ape and punches him on the nose um she tries to escape 
Um, oh, another thing I noticed is that where he's got base camp set up on the beach, Fred also has a, his own bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, just it's it's very seventies, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and they also discover that uh, the oil is not cooked. It needs it needs a few more thousand years to. I don't know how oil works to uh, mature. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, and, and all of that just seems, again, just seems very odd. Um, but it, but it prompts this switch in priorities that it's now not about the oil; it's about the ape. Um, because Fred can't go back to Petrox with nothing. Yeah. So rather than uh, untold oil deposits, he's going to bring back a giant ape instead, because that's basically the same thing. And so, so what it does is that switches the film back onto the tracks of the original movie when they're going out to film it and to create a spectacular film of these great creatures and a show thing. Um, so having having ditched all that to make him make him an oil prospector and set it in the real world and in capitalism and whatever else, they then dump all of that rather conveniently and go back to the it's all about it's all for show it's all for show business reasons well it's but it still ties in with the idea of corporate exploitation yeah yeah but but yes but there's no reason why they couldn't have started out like that as well you know we think we've got a we think we've got an an undiscovered species and we're going to go out and film it and prove it you 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 could have just done that from the beginning but they're, they're 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 I think they're having their cake and eating it by switching back and forth. Perhaps, yes. I mean, I, I still like the the undercurrent of the. Uh, I mean, there is the element of the oil crisis at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. So there is a there is a reflection of the real world in it, just to kind of almost ease the viewer into this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, it's it's just all lumpy elements in the script. Um, it's interesting, I find actually that there's there's only one scriptwriter. Yeah. Uh, and if you're making this film today, if you're making this as a as a studio picture rather than a, a director led picture, you would have three or four writers working on it, and you'd have one or two script doctors working on it to make sure it's all as polished as it can be. And yet, back in the sort of the, the scrappy pre Star Wars days, yeah, he's just got one screenwriter and and he's managing on his own, and that's fine. Yeah, and so and so there's a feeling of it that it's that that it's all that'll do really. Um, that that none of these things have been quite been thought through enough, or or quite been polished, as you say, polished up enough. Um, yeah, that that and, and again with this, you know, we're, we're then getting into the rescue attempt, and and they, you know, that that bit where they cross the the tree branch over the that or the fallen tree over the ravine, and. There's something really, you know, that, that's a sort of classic adventure scene thing. And then the ape, the Kong turns up and rolls it and knocks them out. And you go, technically, that, that, that in sort of structural terms of the scene, that all works perfectly. But the execution just feels a bit, it doesn't feel very real. You know, it all just feels a bit stagey when when they're when the log is rolling. What is what should be very shocking as they're as they're falling off it. You kind of you there's there's no weight to it. The match shots of them falling into the ravine are not very convincing. Um, and when Kong then picks up the tree and throws it, it looks really light. There's no sense of weight or heft or effort involved. So it just doesn't feel very real. Um, 
and and the 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 result of that is it is it's kind of unaffecting really it's also missing um something that was so notable in the original film which is that the bottom of the ravine isn't just a river it's horrible man-eating monsters yeah 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 again Um, there aren't there aren't any other monsters apart from kong which is i think is a massive missed trick um i think it might partly be budgetary yeah 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 um because particularly having to build kong effectively twice um did compromise their effects budget i think quite a bit but uh, maybe they were learning their lesson from the first film where uh, all the the sailors fall down into a pit filled with giant spiders and the spiders eat them and the scene was apparently appalled test audiences so much that the, it dropped them out of the film completely and it never recovered yeah yeah maybe and maybe it was cut from the finished version yeah 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 so Peter Jackson obviously had giant man-eating slugs yeah yeah uh, all of these things are a question of judgment but but I I do think you know we'll get on to bits in a minute but but uh yes i think i think there are it doesn't have to be one or the other there's a there's a middle ground that they could have gone to it could have been crocodiles yeah 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 you can just have crocodiles that's always a good standby yeah 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 so jack is the only one who manages to get to the other side of the ravine one of the uh the other crewmen uh, gets back to the other side and goes to let uh fred know what's going on whilst they're in the middle of building a trap yep um and while Dwan and Kong watch the sunset, Kong looks over at these two twin towers. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's a new addition, I think. I don't think there's anything like that in the no. original. No, it's all it's all to make to give him a reason to go to the Twin Towers when he's in New York. And it's odd because those rocks are not the scale that the Twin Towers are. Um so it, it's a weird again. It's a weird, slightly, um, you know. It, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's there to explain why he's drawn to the World Trade Center, other than just going. It's a high vantage point, you know. That that it's just something to, to that he can go to escape from things. Um, yes, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I I can see why it's there. I'm not sure it's that it's the best choice in the world. It's. It's clearly indicative of something, but I don't think it's been just been f- fully polished. There should be some kind of uh, reasoning or clue behind it. That I recall there's a scene in the, the Jackson version where Kong shows Anne Darrow um, the skeletons of other giant apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, in some, it's at some high vantage point, I think. So I, I think there's meant to be a connection there between this being his home and then being attracted to uh, the Empire State Building. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it needs something along those lines. There needs to be some sort of connection for Kong with those uh, those two pillars, other than it just being a recognisable landmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, then you get this weird, again, distasteful, I think, weirdly judged scene of him... Um, pulling her top down yes uh and that's that's clearly riffing off what happens with Fay ray where uh kong pulls the petals of her dress apart in the original kong film which compared to this 
is rather playful and quite funny. I, I, you know, I've seen that film in a cinema, and, and that scene got a laugh. Whereas this, again, just it just feels really, especially you know, maybe in a Me Too context, but I'm sure even at the time must have made people feel uncomfortable because it's it's raping. You know, it's 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 yeah. explosive, and 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 actually. It's a, there, there's a you know it's 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 supposed it's clearly meant to be a bit sexy as well, but it's exploitative and just and yeah I I just think that again there's a there's a something rather unpleasant about that. Um, and then well, and then and then just and before, but 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 as you were saying before, just as Kong is going to take it further in ways that we can only try not to imagine, a giant snake attacks you know the symbolism of that is just it's just crass yeah it's that it just needs to be better yeah (laughs) at this point at this point there's i think i think you can just sum up this bit with it just needs to be better but especially because a the snake just looks like a rubber snake uh but also in the in the 30s equivalent uh, the the this moment is when the the kong fights a pterodactyl which is really iconic and exciting, and the fight with the snake is just not. And and also what that that fight means is that when Jeff Bridges arrives and rescue and you know and drags her away, she's already escaped, and he literally goes right. We go back this way. They they haven't done anything. That the, the human characters haven't done anything intelligent or or brave particularly to escape from Kong. He's just been distracted by a terrible snake. It it just feels. Like it's not the, the the whole that that whole bit it just isn't working hard enough. Well, fortunately, Kong rips the snake's head open. Yeah. Um, again, appropriate for a family movie. Yeah. Um, and Jack and Duan jump down a chasm into the water to escape. Uh, Kong approaches their trap just as uh, Jack and Duan arrive and manage to get through the gates. Yeah. Kong smashes his way through and then falls into a hole where barrels of chloroform are dumped on him. Yeah. And you just see a single hand rise out of the pit as he's falling unconscious. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like the image of that. The uh, It's almost foreshadowing the, the final scene, but it feels almost like a, a scaled-up version of something that you would see enacted with a human just sort of the last shrug of movement before they black out except it's a giant hand that's lucky not to squash anyone yeah yeah I, I you know maybe maybe not have had him go down quite so easily might have been a bit more interesting um and if he was fighting and you know drag some people into the pit with him or you know that kind of thing again you could have just made it a bit more involving but but yes yes i, I agree with what you're saying well, they somehow managed to get him into a great big oil tanker. Yeah. Um, which is actually a bit more than they do in other versions of the story, where I don't think they ever explain at all how they got him back to New York. No, no, no. Fred is very excited about the launch event that he's organising. It's going to be on TV coast to coast, and I'm getting Fontaine and Nureyev to star in it. It's going to be lights, camera, Kong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he seems to have turned into John Nathan Turner. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, while that's happening, 
the morose Kong sat at the bottom of the uh, the hold, I was kind of thinking, is there, you know, is it going too far to bearing in mind what we talked about about the Afro sort of centric imagery before? Is this is this playing on images of slavery? Is this, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I think I don't think they I don't think they make they make that connection themselves, but there is. Dwan, when 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 it's put to Dwan, uh, and I again I wrote this down. It's a beast that tried to rape you. Her response is that's not true. Um, again, they're they're not quite sure where this relationship is or or what's going on. But yeah, it, it, you know she's she's not right though, is she? You know that Kong is interested in her for particular reasons, and um, so it's 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 weirdly. You've got the sort of rapaciousness of Kong, but you've also got the rapaciousness of Fred and the, his attitude to the island and taking Kong off the island and and all of this sort of stuff. And and that line you talked about earlier, where where Jack says they're going to all end up as drunks on this ruined island and stuff, again is a kind of sense that that the the West is is and capitalism is is rapaciously exploiting the, the these people but it, i don't know it just i it just feels a bit heavy-handed i think but uh the portrayal of kong at at this point i think is certainly very sympathetic yeah he's, definitely definitely he's chained down in this great metal pit he doesn't understand what's going on he he's a prisoner and Jack thinks that the way he's being treated is appalling. So, if if one were to invoke images of slavery or the the subtext of slavery, it's certainly very much anti. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. just it's just not doing it in as thoughtful a, a way as it ought to. It probably might have been best if it had sidestepped the matter altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we do get instead is um, a sort of reversal. So that the bit with with the snake interrupting Kong's plans for Duan. Uh, Jack and Duan go back to the cabin room, and then it's Kong's distress that, that interrupts them from doing anything. Um, and this is where we see a full-on development of a relationship between Kong and Duan, because she she calms him down and she shows kindness. And he, although he picks her when she falls into the hold, although he catches her and then places her between his legs in a way that I'm not quite sure is meant to be suggestive or not. Um, but he's a bit weird. Uh, he then lets her go away, and it's you know there's a real kind of moment between them that 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 actually works rather well for all it's it's still couched in these rather peculiar um, ideas about you know what his attitude is. I just think I just think it's a bit too comfortable with uh, or or it's not uncomfortable enough with the rapey subtext that's going on here. Um, I think that's why I find it so so uncomfortable to watch myself I, I think we should at the very least um, count our lucky stars that Roman Polanski didn't get the job after all <laughs> well yeah 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 I mean yes um, but it it needs it needs to pick a side really it needs to pick an attitude towards the the development of the Kong Duan relationship and it needs to stick to it because it does feel like it is it's too vague it's too just coasting along and not nailing this is what the characters want this is this is how they feel yeah yeah it's just whatever seems to be appropriate for this scene or whatever they think is right for this scene 
and not um and and, and particularly <laughs> what is the what's the most marketable version of this movie yeah 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 because and, they keep and, doing weird stuff and, and actually when when jack says i was wrong when i called this thing a farce it's a tragedy um i i think yeah that's uh, you know that again you could say that about this this film that that actually it it when it when it moves into the exploitation of kong when they get to new york and stuff or on the way to new york you you it does feel like this is where something kicks in and it it, it actually get, becomes a bit more emotional because up until that point nothing has felt or very little has felt like it, it's really hit home um and uh as i said as i said it's just not it's just not pulling hard enough on on the audience well they arrive back in new york and petrox is having a great big unveiling uh but Jack quits the company, or his uh, his new employment, yeah. and announces that he's given his advance to the campaign to have Kong sent back to the island. Yeah, and, and that's supposed to show his integrity, isn't it? Um, and Duan doesn't feel she can make the same, and that's like her tragic flaw, isn't it? That's, that, it's her... That decision basically seals the fate of, of what happens next, I think. Um, but which, which bizarrely, for somebody who's been pretty much helpless all the way through this film and a victim of circumstance, then makes the last act of the movie her fault, um, in a rather unpleasant way, I think. Um, and that, but that's you know, but that's going back to the original, where where you know the last line of the original film is that it's beauty that did it for Kong. Um, yeah, they could have, they could have done better. They could have done something a bit more empowering than that. I think. Um, I don't know what you just, think of that. Just so that all the tragedy of the final third of the movie isn't blamed on the only woman in the cast. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't actually recall offhand how it's sold in the Jackson version. I mean, I imagine it's with a degree more delicacy. Um, off, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I do remember where they go ice skating. <laughs> yes, well, you know, uh, yes. There, there, again, again, there are some odd choices in all of these things. Well, it's it's as you were saying earlier about how some viewers reacted to that version as an epic romance. It's the uh, equivalent of the scene in Titanic where Kate uh, Kate Winslet goes Irish dancing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's all about building rapport between your two lead characters, isn't it? Yeah, I, do, I just find I just find that kind of stuff a bit clunky, really. Um, you could do it a bit more delicately, but but yes, this is not a film with a lot of delicacy in it. So, the um, arena to present Kong has been set up outside uh, New York, and Fred is presenting, and he's dressed as the Great White Hunter with the hat folded up and everything. Yeah, and it's very much a showbiz version of the whole sacrifice sequence again. Which is obviously a really great thing to to do to Duan to have her reenact this. Yes, yeah. Again, there's you know there's no there's no sense of her discomfort at that. Um, also, weirdly, um, when Kong arrives, he's in this big square box, which made me think of um, Cape Canaveral and the and the great big work, workshop from which the space shuttles emerge and stuff. I don't know whether that was that was on purpose but this is very soon after the apollo missions and things and i i wondered if that's a touch of modernity coming into it or maybe i'm just reading too much into it um that, well, there may be a connection there i mean i 
I mean, it, he, it's it's he's inside a giant petrol pump. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought that they're trying to make the connection between ah, oh, uh, inside every petrol pump is uh, oil the pat with the power of Kong. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no that makes sense. Something along those lines. Yeah, I think you're much closer to the mark than me. Yes, yes. And as uh, as Kong is unveiled in his cage and wearing his Burger King crown, uh, Fred says into the microphone, "Ah." All hail the power of Kong and Petrox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he breaks loose uh, from this cage that is obviously uh, uh, unbreakable uh, uh, as, as, and, and goes on the rampage. And uh, I really liked that, that Grodin gets uh, stepped on. Um, I think, yeah. that's a, that, I think that, that, uh, that felt very satisfying. Um, it's it's and, surprising and, that he's killed off this quickly. And and also, there, there there's a rare bit of good taste where he ste- where he's stepped on and Kong starts to lift his foot, and just before we see what he's made of him, we cut away to the next bit and you just go yeah that's that's how you can do this kind of violence you don't you don't you know yeah it it that actually feels like that's been well thought through and and gives us just as enough that we need without having to spell it out. Um, will show us anything too grisly. Um and I actually I actually think the the stuff of Kong in the city is very well done. There's a there's the bit where he's in the water crossing the Hudson, which you you just got I'd I'd have liked to see more of that. I'd have liked to see him hauling himself out of the river and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um actually all of that the the bits of the the large uh you know, arm, army people in front of landmarks and all of, you know, the, the crowd scenes and the landmarks and all of that. All of that is really spectacular and works very well. Um, and and then you've got um, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lang hiding in a rather posh bar, which, I don't know, just, just feels very odd. Um, well, on their way there, of course, they, they take the subway. Yes. And... Um, uh, the the 1970s film part of my brain switched and I thought, oh well obviously they're going to meet the warriors on the way <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, Kong intercepts the train rips it up and starts swinging it around uh, he, he he grabs one woman out of the window and discards her, her. Sees, sees that it isn't one and just flings her into the distance yeah, 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 that's, that's you know, it's unpleasant but that's great, that's a great horror moment um uh, it's just a shame we didn't know who that woman was. Um, you know, she could have had some lines. Um, yes, I mean, it, the fact that it's just some unfortunate random stranger makes it more frightening, but it is it is a problem that you need to have more characters in your movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they get to the bar and th- there's a whole bit about uh, Jack thinking that Duan needs furs and needs jewels and things I thought would he be the kind of person who would own fur but also but also that's layering on this this thing which which is to basically put the pressure on her that she's you know that her she she's wrong headed about what's important and what matters and she's talking about you know she's made this decision that that she wants the fame and celebrity which is what ultimately brings everything you know which obviously comes back to haunt her but Again, it's just you don't need any of this. You don't need this talky stuff. Um, we know who they are. We know what they're where, what they're about. Just get on with the 
just get on with the eight bit. And once he grabs her, you know, it's it's really random that Kong finds her and grabs her out of the bar in the moment when Jack is not there. Again, that's all hinging on kind of easy plot convenience. You know, it's it's all a bit too convenient for for my liking. Um, and uh, it makes them all quite passive in in their in their roles in this. But once once Kong has got her and is going up the building, you're going yeah yeah going up the World Trade Center. You're going yeah this really it's really picking up again. And and why couldn't Kong just pick her up from the parade? You didn't need all the stuff in the bar. You didn't need all the stuff or, or pick her up from the train or whatever. You don't need all this this you know quiet moment of character stuff. It's the wrong place for it. We you know it's not adding anything. At this point in the story, it should be barreling towards the climax. It's it's episode four now. Yeah, yeah. And to have a a quiet scene in a bar where the characters talk and establish information that they should already have, it's getting in the way. It's slowing things down too much, and we're losing the momentum. Yeah, yeah. And and then you get this weird switch with Jack's character where he is totally on the side of the ape as the helicopters are attacking and people are attacking you know when when kong swipes down a helicopter um he he's going you know he's cheering um which is so weird it, i mean his his sympathies have been with kong before that but this is a this is a really strange response uh to what's going on and what uh, the mayhem and chaos he's seen he does um, try informing the authorities about what's going to happen by trying to make a deal that he'll help with capturing Kong as long as they don't kill him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, but, he, but even so, he seems to go. He seems to go back on that. Well, not not so much go back on it, but he's so concerned about Kong being hurt, and yet when humans are killed, he's actively happy. Yeah, yeah, and he's and, delighted. And part part of the the kind of symbolism of it. You know, I talked about them not doing Nam in South Asia, but the but the uh, 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 the helicopter gunships and stuff is such a Vietnam imagery. I'd, I'd be amazed if people weren't making that connection as it as it played out. And the idea of these gunships over the top of the World Trade Center is is you know it's a really striking imagery and 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 stuff. But but his reaction, which should his reactions, which should kind of guide the audience as to how we should feel. Are so strange um, that that I yeah I, I I found that very strange. And then when the um, helicopters actually attack Kong and and shoot him up, that's horrible. And it's really it. And he's just he's just being cut to pieces by the bullets. And it takes a long time. You know, we really linger on some of those shots of him covered in blood or stuff. It's really unpleasant. Um, Part of the sequence that I like is that Kong puts Duan down and actively ushers her into cover. Yeah, that's as, great. As, that's great. And then he turns to face the helicopters, and it's it's almost like as though he's embracing his inevitable death. Yeah, yeah. He knows he he knows that there is no escape for him, but he's going to protect Duan if he can. And it's it's a it's a moment of integrity and and honor for him, which actually we should have seen earlier. You know that's that's the kind of though that some semblance of that earlier would have rather than the the rather peculiar flirting if we can 
ironically call it that that he's been ha- going on with Dwan. if there'd been a sort of judgment and he helps people or he helps a wounded creature or you know that those kind of things that would have that would have shown a side to him that we could bond with rather than this weird thing that he he you know wants to pull her clothes off i think that would have um that some more of that earlier on would have would have worked much better um but yes you're right that, that in that last bit that's really good Something that springs to mind in in a, a, a similar way is uh, Deathline. Yeah, yeah. Um, the scene early on in the film where the monstrously diseased man is tending the uh, his dying wife. It it gives this this wretched creature a moment where you see this is a this is a person. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of how monstrous and deformed and diseased he is from generations living in this living in tunnels it's he's still capable of emotion and feeling yeah yeah i think and so and it's and it puts the rest of the much of the film in context where he's chasing around after the young woman and and screaming mind the doors because you realize he's not just a monster he's capable of feeling and thinking he just can't communicate it and he winds up dying tragically as well yeah um Although uh, he deserved it, so maybe something like that—just some kind of demonstration early on, as you say—was needed that Kong is Kong is not a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's the key. He's not a monster. He's just a big creature. In the same way, I think that was my dad once told me off for referring to Frankenstein's monster. So no, he's not a monster. He's a creature. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, you could make the. I think this is what it's missing that 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 actually we are the monsters is is what what this film is trying is failing to deliver. I think that that's the that's the issue. Well, yeah, and the problem is if it had embraced that too much, we would have ended up with Kong dying in a Christ pose. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yes, that is going too far. I mean. <laughs> The, the problem is that you know, I say I like the film because it has more nuance to it, but it's very, very clumsy with that nuance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know that terrible match shot where he falls off. Uh, yes, it just really ruins the the sort of emotion of what's what's just been what's just played out. Uh, really took me out of it. You don't. You wouldn't even need that shot in there. You can. You could almost just play it on. He rolls off. Lang- just yeah. play it on Jessica Lang's face as yeah, she yeah. watches him fall. Yeah, yeah, just exactly. a distant crash to the ground. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you've got this weird thing of her being on the top of the building, and then the next thing you know, she's down on the ground with Kong, surrounded by a huge crowd. And I was like, how did she get there? How was she not ushered away? How you know? There's logic things there, but they do this thing of she's then in the light. You know, you think that. Jack is running towards her and he realises that she's in the limelight and leaves her to it like he's like it's her punishment and this is what she wanted all along yes that she's surrounded by photographers and it's really mean that's that's the that's the thing it's just a really mean judgment on her you could make the same point that she's got what she always wanted being in the limelight by having Jack reach her and shepherd her away from the lenses which she now doesn't want and you could so you'd make the same kind of point of look what she's learned and whatever but it wouldn't be nearly so vicious and mean 
Um, and I find, I, you know, I can, I see that they're, you, you talking about Roman Polanski and stuff, you kind of go, yeah, that kind of same pull back from this final, this final moment is very, you know, has, comes with a similar kind of feel of the end of Chinatown, but there's no need for it in what we've just seen. It's a, it's a really nasty way to finish the film. Mm. Um, and, uh, forget it, Jack, it's Skull Island. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so um, it just ends with our main characters separated and miserable. Our hero is dead, and uh, and then John Barry's music strikes up again. Yeah, yeah. What felt to be slightly too jovial a key. Yeah, yeah, and and, and again playing lush romance, which we've not really seen. There, there hasn't been a lot of romancing in this film. There's been a lot of rather clumsy pulling or you know pulling down a girl's top or. I'd like to see you in my cabin talk that you know that 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 is not what the John Barry is not doing what the film is is offering um no it's it's as though he's been shown a better draft of the script yeah 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 you know and, and often as what often happens with with music he's he's trying to paper over the cracks in the in the uh in what's been shot to to give us some cues as to how we should be feeling but actually i don't i i never bought it i don't i don't feel carried along by it but maybe maybe you were more but but there's a there's a better film in there somewhere but it's it's just a bit clunkily realized i should be honest that even as i was watching it to make notes at the end when kong does die i did actually shed a couple of tears oh oh because, well because that that final sequence where uh Duan is standing on his chest and and looking down at him, and he's looking up at her, and you just hear his heartbeat on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. As it slows and then stops, and then the sound of the crowd is faded up. I thought was a, a very effective and very simple, yeah, um, bit of editing there. And yeah, 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 yeah. Oscar nominated for its sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just you know I'd like to know how she got down from the building. And yeah, why, I mean, that is a, that, that's a the... huge logical. Whole. And why the army, the huge numbers of army people, let the crowd get so close, and you know all of all of those kind of things. But yes, yes, I I was I was too caught up in that to uh, be swept up in the emotion. I'm afraid, but I'm you know maybe I'm too cynical. Well, my my summing up that I'd written here was, I think maybe more optimistic than uh, I gave it credit. Um, I I describe it as being excellent and having action, humor, adventure, and I think in retrospect. It's too heavily flawed, I think, to get any kind of full-bodied endorsement. It's it's trying for something. It's re- it's not just trying to retread the original. It's trying to do something different, but it keeps tripping over itself for the the weak scripting, the weak direction, and. I think, I think budgetary issues as well, because even though it's clearly a huge and expensive movie, the the money's not being spent correctly. I I think I think there are just uh, there are a lot of choice. You know, you, you you think of what De Laurentiis would go on to do. Um, Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flash Gordon is is a much more fu- is Flash Gordon is full of mad decisions, and again, is a family film that's got bits in it that are kinky and strange and you know 
suggestive of of things that are maybe not so suitable for a family audience and yet it's so fu- it's so much fun and the tone of it is very consistent and i think that's that's largely down to it having a much more um a much better director um with a with a re- real sort of creative eye on things but also it's got a it's got a visual style to it it's very striking and it's just a lot of fun and this film would a be a lot more enjoyable if it was more fun um and if the script was a bit wittier uh, uh, uh and, and just a bit cleverer but i i don't think it's working hard enough and and the trouble is that films of this type were eclipsed by star wars but also jaws which were working a lot harder um and i think that's that's the issue it's 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 the effects and the writing and the direction are, are not good enough for where cinema was at this point and audiences were too demanding of better stuff better material um and and if this film is stuck in the past that that's why it's not the subject matter it's not the whatever it's just the attitude of it i think um and there's and there's loads of good stuff in it but it it never quite it never quite pulls the weight that it should it was perhaps surprisingly in retrospect it was a big hit at the time it was the fifth highest grossing film of 1977 yeah by which time it was rolling around all over the country and reviews were generally at least forgiving yeah yeah but 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 i think it's been eclipsed since by the kind of action movies that we are, you know, now used to. I, I think it just doesn't. I think it was dwarfed by those pretty, those sort of films very quickly. Would be my my feeling on it. And they they tried to do it. They did a sequel in the mid eighties. I was I was about to mention that King Kong Lives. Yeah, and and I, I you know, a, a very odd, really odd, um, thing to want to do. But that sequel is clearly looking at things like franchises. It's clearly looking at, you know, that what has come since, um, and, uh, and and the sequels to Jaws and the sequels to Star Wars and and whatever else. Um, and I, I don't think this film warrants that. Um, I don't think there's enough. Uh, I don't think we 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 emotionally engage in it enough. To, to, to justify that sort of thing. Thanks to Simon for making the time for this podcast. His recent books include The Doctor Who Book of Universal Records and The Women Who Lived Amazing Tales for Future Time Lords, both for BBC Books, and The Black Archive The Evil of the Daleks for Obverse Books. His most recent audio dramas include Braxiatel in Love, The Top of the Tree, and The Outliers, with those and many others available from bigfinish.com. Cinema Limbo is on Apple Podcasts with nearly 70 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help with our running costs. However, until next time, it wasn't the helicopters. It was beauty killed the beast. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com. Thank you.